Gimme Shelter is supported by the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Welcome everyone to Gimme Shelter, the California housing crisis podcast. I'm Manuela Tobias, housing reporter for CalMatters. And I am Liam Dillon, and I write about housing affordability for the Los Angeles Times. And today, we're taking the California housing crisis to school. We'll be talking about how the state's housing unaffordability is making it so difficult for California's college and university students to live and study. One stat for now, in an episode that will be full of them, a recent UCLA report found that one in five community college students, one in 10 California State University students, and one in 20 University of California students experience bouts of homelessness which if you take that survey data and do the math, that equates to hundreds of thousands of homeless students across California. Wow, that is a lot of students. To talk about the housing problems facing California's college students, today we have the perfect guest. We'll be speaking with Matthew Chin, a third year student at UC Santa Cruz. Matthew lives in a used trailer he parks in a driveway, a driveway that he rents for $750 a month. $750 a month for a driveway, wow. Yeah. So Matthew was recently featured in a story by my LA Times colleague, Teresa Watanabe, who has written a lot about this issue. And this is also a good time to shout out my CalMatters colleague, Michael Zinstein, our awesome higher ed reporter who helped put a lot of the facts for this episode together. Thank you, Teresa and Michael. But first, we have the most popular segment in all of California housing podcastry. It is... The Avocado of the Fortnight. Our bi-weekly look at the most zany, strange, kooky, and madcap story that defines California's housing crisis. Liam, where does this Fortnite's avocado take us? So first, I really like that we've added madcap to our list of avocado adjectives. You added that one, Liam? So <laughs> yes, good one. <laughs> Maybe when we ask people to vote on the craziest avocado of the year, we can also ask them to vote on the adjective. <laughs> yes. Okay. I love this foreshadowing we're doing to the avocado of the year vote, which is coming soon. All right. Enough of this love fest. So for the second straight fortnight, almost a, an avocado of the fortnight record, our avocado is taking us to Santa Monica. I'm starting to sense a hometown bias here, Liam. You know, perhaps, Manuela. But since we're just after Election Day and well into election counting month here in California, we thought it made sense to talk about ballot measures. Yeah, so what's happening in Santa Monica? So like other cities around the state, Santa Monica had a ballot measure that aimed to tighten allowable rent increases in its rent-controlled apartments the allowable increase was as much as 6% a year in Santa Monica and dependent on what inflation was. Uh-oh, inflation. Yeah, so that meant the rent increase for this year has been very high. And as a result, the city put what was Measure RC on the local ballot to tighten that maximum allowable increase to 3% a year. RC, okay. So how'd it go? Well, as of the time of this taping, Measure RC was leading with more than 57% of the vote, so it looks to be in pretty good shape to pass. I'm sure 57% of the people are happy about that and 43% are not. <laughs> Where's the avocado though? Yeah, so it comes from some of the 43% who are not happy. This quote about the measure is from Dan Eukelson, the head of the Apartment Association of Greater Los Angeles, the main pro-landlord group in the region. It's actually from before the election, this quote, but now we have the chance to highlight it here. Dan said, per an article in the Real Deal real estate news outlet, quote, 
it just figures that the city of Santa Monica would come out with the worst possible outcome for property owners and put people out of business. This city is, has been, and always will be Soviet Monica. Yeah. There we go. Your real stomping grounds. (laughs) Indeed. And fun (laughs) fact uh, for our listeners, Santa Monica has had this left-wing reputation since the late 1970s, so like 50 years when tenants swept local politics back then, passing one of the strictest rent control laws in the country at the time, newspaper articles began referring to Santa Monica, for instance, as the People's Republic of Santa Monica. Wow. Thank you for the history lesson. Before we move on, any other nuggets from Election Day, Liam? So anytime on history, Manuela. <laughs> um, and yeah, well, Governor Gavin Newsom won re-election. And if you want to hear more about his housing plans and how they've fared, you can check out our last episode. But in general, local housing ballot measures seem to be mostly on track to pass. Sales tax increases across Northern and Southern California to fund affordable housing and homelessness prevention succeeded. LA likely passed a big increase to its tax when high-end real estate is sold to fund potentially $900 million a year in affordable housing and tenant programs. And both Berkeley and San Francisco passed taxes on homes that are kept vacant. Nice roundup. And I'm sure we'll have more on some of the results and issues raised by this election soon enough. Indeed. So, Liam, let's get into the meat of the episode, and that's student housing. Yeah, you know, we've talked about this before, Manuela, because this is one of the many things that we share. Oh, yeah. For new listeners, we both went to Georgetown and lived in a dorm called Harbin Hall our freshman year. Also, the dorm where a student got busted for running a meth lab, (laughs) although that was before my time and after yours, like much, much, much after your (laughs) time there. (laughs) I just want to note for the record here that Manuela is primarily the one who was responsible for this episode, and she wrote originally that my cue here was supposed to be, quote, LOL, I am old. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we're all about transparency here, Liam, and I do take full responsibility for my (laughs) jokes. (laughs) As I was saying, though, my experience in Harbin, much after yours, was a little bit cramped, but overall stable. And that's because we had guaranteed on-campus housing our first three years. Yeah, we did. And that's very far from the experience of college students in California. You know, we talk a lot about the housing crisis on this podcast, and it shouldn't come as a surprise that it's also a massive problem for students who have to deal with the rents. People with full-time, good-paying jobs are already struggling to afford in some of the most expensive cities in the state. Think about where some of the UC campuses are, for instance, Berkeley, Santa Cruz, Irvine, Santa Barbara, and you very much see that overlap. Exactly. So let's get into the crux of the issue. California has one of the most prestigious higher education systems in the country and excels at providing free tuition for low-income students. And logically, state lawmakers want to guarantee this crown jewel of public education to as many Californians as possible. So they put pressure on the public system to grow enrollment. But the problem is there simply isn't enough housing to accommodate all those students and pressure to expand the availability of affordable housing, not just education, is only now starting to kick in from the state. So briefly summarize for us how big of a system we're talking about here. Yeah, so we're talking big. There's the prestigious UCs we just mentioned, home to about 300,000 students, the Cal State system with about 480,000 students, 
and then community colleges with 1.8 million students. Wow. Housing insecurity worsens in that same order as does homelessness, which surveys that you summarized at the top, Liam, found ranges from 5% to 20% in these systems. Community college students are often older, the vast majority are part-time, and they're struggling the most to keep up with housing costs. But even at the University of California, which is the system that has historically provided more of the dorm experience that you and I had, 16% of students surveyed in 2020 were housing insecure, and 6% of students who received federal aid grants because of their lower income status experienced a bout of homelessness. Yeah, so that last that is really telling because these are students that don't pay tuition and are getting extra benefits from the federal government to cover the cost of living, and even so, they can't stay housed. And of course, this is all a terrible recipe for doing well in school, right? It is. Your colleague, Teresa, went into some of those real-life consequences for students. What did she find, Liam? So it's bad. One UC Irvine transfer student that Teresa spoke with lost hundreds of thousands of dollars to a scammer posing as a real estate agent, and they had emotional breakdowns as a result. Clary Gao, another UC Irvine student, was shut out of campus housing, and it took her eight months before finding a place. She launched a survey this summer to document the experience of students searching for housing and drew stories of stress-triggered hair loss and nausea, fear of having to drop out of school, all of which disproportionately harmed low-income students of color. Another student described living in a car for the entire year and then reaching out to campus officials to help, only to be told to, quote, sleep in Walmart parking lots. My jaw dropped when I read that for housing insecurity and homelessness to be so entrenched that a school official could ever think of advising a student to sleep in a Walmart parking lot is just ludicrous. Yeah. So in response to that, uh, UC Irvine officials told my colleague Teresa they were unaware of such a suggestion and that if they became aware of a student who may be sleeping in their car, they have social workers dedicated to helping students seek secure housing. Okay, a social worker is something, but what about providing actual housing? Yeah, then that's not a bed. And (laughs) UC Irvine offered beds to only 64% of applicants this fall, leaving about 3,700 students out of luck. And across the UCs, 9,400 students were denied university housing this fall because of these shortages. That's a lot of students. It's especially bad this year because of what we always talk about on this podcast, which is rapidly escalating rents. Campus housing at UC Irvine is kept to at least 30% below market value by order of the UC Regents, so it's in very high demand. There isn't a good public transportation to the campus, making it difficult for students to live in more affordable areas and commute in. And then the hot market has led to more stringent private leasing requirements, like landlords asking students to make four times the rent, which, of course, virtually no low-income student can afford. And it all comes back to our dreaded housing shortage, doesn't it, Liam? So what are the schools doing about this? Right. So the UCs are building a lot, Manuela. UC campuses have added 22,000 beds in the last four years and plan to add another 20,000 over the next four years. The Cal State system has added 14,000 beds in recent years. But as you mentioned, there never really has been a mandate tying enrollment numbers to housing. That's right, Liam. Although... The state has taken an unprecedented interest in housing in recent years, as they realize that housing is just as much a barrier to getting an education in some cases as tuition. This year, $1.4 billion is headed to 26 UCs, Cal States, and community colleges to build or expand dorms, as my colleague Michael reported. 
but it's yet another Band-Aid on a bullet wound projected to add affordable beds for only about 7,300 students. Mm. Let's just put that in perspective. We know of the UC's housing waiting lists. We also know that the Cal State system says about 33,000 of its students need housing assistance now. And there's all the survey data about the possibly hundreds of thousands of college students dealing with homelessness. Any way you slice it, there is a massive need for affordable student housing, which does not come cheaply. Michael's reporting showed that the typical cost to make room for one dorm bed is around $200,000. You know, but of course, all this is still not enough to keep up with demand. And that has led to some recently very outlandish situations when it comes to university housing. Ah, yes. Walk us back to some of those avocados, Liam. Right. So you may remember the avocado of the year last year. It was UC Santa Barbara. Oh, yeah. This is so good. Or bad. (laughs) Yeah. So university officials there, due to a large donation from billionaire financier Charles Munger, proposed a massive project dubbed Dormzilla that would provide 3,500 more beds in small rooms, most of them without windows. Critics, including a renowned university architect, lambasted the project, saying the lack of access to natural light and air could harm students' physical and mental health. The project now is undergoing an environmental review and will require approval by the regents. Who knew one giant windowless building wasn't going to fix the housing crisis? Mm -hmm. And Liam, let's not forget UC Berkeley. How could we? (laughs) Last year, uh, Berkeley almost had to cut its undergraduate enrollment by 3,000 students because of a court order upholding a lawsuit from a neighborhood group that argued enrollment growth was harming traffic, noise, housing prices, and the natural environment. Essentially, the idea here was that more students were bad for the environment. Ah, yes. This one now ended up getting resolved in the state legislature where lawmakers limited how a litigant can sue a campus for having too many people. Lawmakers also passed a law exempting certain dorms from the California Environmental Quality Act, the same premier environmental law that ignited the whole kerfuffle that many call a roadblock in building more housing. But of course, the drama continues. Last month, UC Berkeley halted plans to begin construction of an 1,100-unit apartment building after opponents decried the displacement of unhoused people and the removal of dozens of trees and a storied park. For context, the university turned away 5,500 housing applicants last year. So, Manuela, you know we could uh, keep talking about all the housing fights in college towns across California for pretty much forever, but let's stop now. And why don't we turn to someone experiencing these issues firsthand? Let's now speak with Matthew Chin, student at UC Santa Cruz, living in a trailer on a rented driveway in the scenic coastal town that was recently named the nation's second priciest rental market. We are here with Matthew Chin. He's a third-year environmental studies student at UC Santa Cruz who is struggling with the high cost of living while attending school. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So walk us through sort of the process for realizing how expensive it was going to be to live in Santa Cruz. What was your search for housing like? Basically, we we would just like look on like Craigslist or like Facebook Marketplace and like the different housing websites. And we had like a group of friends that I was going to rent with. And we went to one showcasing and she said it was going to be like, I forgot it was like, 3500 like three bedroom or something and my dad came and we like all checked it out and he was like this is out of our budget and we can't afford it so he was like 
what if I get you a trailer? And I was like, okay, I guess, sure. And I just kind of went along with it after like some of the other people bailed out and just didn't work with them either. Did you ever apply for university housing as well? I didn't. My parents thought it was going to be too expensive. Yeah, I remember from Teresa's story that your dorm options at UCSE started at around $1,200 a month for a shared dorm. And most people can't even get off the wait list for housing. So how much did your trailer cost? And then how much does it cost every month to, to rent the driveway? So my trailer costed, it was a pretty good price. And it was in like recently, like pretty good condition. It was about 3000 I believe. And to rent was 700 but now it's 750 because of like inflation and stuff. Can you describe to us your living setup a little bit? It's a 70s like fireball trailer. It's about like 16 feet by like six or seven feet width wise. And what do you have in there? I have my little like bench, like bed setup, and like I have a little table and like my stove. I have like a fridge slash like freezer, like fridge. So what's it like cooking, showering? So cooking, right now I ran out of gas. So I'm using my landlord's kitchen because she allows me to do that, which is super cool. Landlord being the person who owns the driveway. Yeah. So my landlord lives inside the house and I have a roommate who lives in her like attic area. And then I live in the front. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of a funky setup, but yeah. What about showering? Oh, showering. So my landlord lets me use her like bathroom and shower and like her washer and dryer as well which is nice because my trailer does have like a shower component and like bathroom area but it's super tiny (laughs) yeah and I'd have to like change the tanks and stuff so I'm wondering if there was any sense of like loss or like hopelessness about the fact that you had to resort to the living situation that you are in right I mean I imagine at one point you thought oh I can go to Santa Cruz and I'll find, I might have to share with a bunch of folks, but you know, I'll find a place to live. What was it like to like not be able to do that? How did, how did that feel? There was a lot of, yeah, like sacrifice and like adjusting to living in this kind of lifestyle and like environment. For starters, like my location is farther from campus. It's on the east side of town, whereas the university is like more like on the west side. And uh, there's not that many other students out on the east side. So it was particularly lonely. Also, like, I have to commute to campus, which um, is something I struggled with at first. That's right. I remember from the LA Times story that you didn't have a car when you first got to Santa Cruz. So you were having to take, like, two buses just to get to campus. How long did that usually take? Like, back and forth, it would take me, yeah, about two hours. So I was partially, in a way, homeless because... I didn't want to commute back and forth. And it was just like difficult to find time to study and time to eat and, you know, all those different things. So I would just kind of like camp out around campus in different areas. Like literally in like in a tent, you were sleeping outside? I'd be outside. I would just try and like layer myself and like have like my foam mat to like insulate myself between the ground. If like CSOs would come, like it'd be like awkward and stuff. What's a CSO? Uh, like a community, like, safety officer or something. And when those police officers would come up to you when you were sleeping on campus, what would they say? They'd usually just, like, kind of, like, tell me, like, oh, I'm sorry, like, you have to, like, go through these experiences and stuff, but, like, you can't really do that here. Like, you have to, like, leave because of, like, the public image and stuff. And, like, I would show them that I'm a student here and they'd be like, okay. And, you know, I think they were just trying their best and, like, having to do their job I was just trying to survive and, like, find somewhere to sleep. (laughs) 
And there's no threat. I'm not going to do anything to my own university. Definitely there was lots of stress because, you know, you're not thinking of school. You're just trying to think of how am I getting by on the day-to-day basis? (laughs) How has your housing situation impacted your academic performance? I would go through different periods of times where I was like, dang, this is like a lot, you know, like sometimes I would feel like dropping out and stuff and like failing classes and just like going through all these different emotions of like, I'm not good enough. And, you know, what am I here for and stuff? It was, it was hard. We're curious, what kind of support from the university has been available to you throughout all this? A really big one for me my first year was EOP, which is Educational Opportunity Program. I had like a peer mentor who really like kept me sane and stuff. And I had an academic advisor that I really felt a lot of support from. And she'd like help me like go through my classes I should take and like enrollment and whatnot. That was really helpful just to have yeah, like guidance and like, yeah, that support. But I mean, I'm sure you told them your housing situation. Could they offer, really offer you anything? No, they, they, they couldn't. They would like try and send me like different resources and like places that I can like look for but yeah nothing would really pan out like off campus yeah like I remember my advisor she recommended me to try and apply for the trailer park on campus because we do have a trailer park at UCSC but when I emailed them they just didn't answer Mm. so in addition to and you mentioned this a little bit but in addition to being a burden academically talked about kind of living alone and so far from campus can be kind of socially isolating too I imagine yeah definitely is a isolating you know I guess another thing was yeah like I never lived on campus and like I struggled finding community my first year and I was just trying to like search for like friendship and stuff and like being independent and like being on my own was such a new world that I just kind of wanted guidance and like you know kind of like a a role model or like older figure in a way. Hmm. So it sounds like you're though doing better now or feeling better about situations now than you the situation now than you were a little bit ago, uh, right at the beginning, what's what sort of changed for you, or how has this kind of normalized, or like how like how is it different now than it was at the beginning? There's been a lot that's changed. Um, my parents were able to provide me a car, so I was able to like commute more, and that that got a lot easier. So I wasn't having to camp out, and it kind of helped me not have to deal with different emotions and stuff. So that was really good, and like my academics have improved, and like I've been able to study more. And feel like I fit in. Another one I would say is when I came down to Santa Cruz, I was able to get CalFresh, um, which really helped me afford uh, groceries and whatnot. Um, so that really helped. So the UC Board of Regents is actually meeting this week. If you are going to participate in a public comment session, what would you want to share with them about your experience and the experience of other students who shared your housing challenges? Well, I guess for starters, like the university is a public university and like they use our tuition and stuff to run the university and pay for staff and whatnot. And like the students are what make up the university. And I feel like they should take better care of like the students. So then it reflects better on them and like their students are able to perform and like have their needs met because we are a reflection of the university. (laughs) So it's like, why wouldn't they want to provide better services? How seriously do you think they take in the housing issues? You know, they will like try and like do different polls and like try and listen to us. But I feel like it kind of falls on deaf ears until you have been in these situations, you know. So Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. 
Awesome. Thank you for having me. It was great to share my story and experience. After we talked to Matthew, we reached out to UC Santa Cruz about his situation. Scott Hernandez Jason, Assistant Vice Chancellor for Media, told us the school provides housing for over 9,400 students, which is about half of total enrollment, and has several more student housing projects in the works. He said, quote, no UC Santa Cruz student should be without a safe and reliable place to live, end quote. He added that the school has a team of case managers to connect students with emergency housing options. Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen to us. That is very important because it helps with new people discovering our takes on the California housing crisis. Our Gimme Shelter producer is Mary Franklin Harvin. Mary Franklin, thank you for keeping us on track. And as always, our editor is Victor Figueroa. Victor, we appreciate you. I'm Liam, and I work at the LA Times. You can find me on Twitter, at least as long as Twitter still exists, at Dylan Liam. And I'm Manuela Tobias from Cal Matters, and my Twitter handle is at Manuela Tobias M. Also, be on the lookout for a survey coming soon to vote on your favorite avocado this year. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.